Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that you're giving us as a church to be able to go to all nations and, and share the gospel, Lord, just as you've called us, you've provided for us to, to do that. And I pray uh, as we study this book, Lord, we would purpose to see the bigger vision that you have for this world. It's so easy for us to get caught up in our comfort zone and the community that we live. And we know we're first called to minister the gospel in the community that we live. Uh, but as we see Lord, there can often be difficult and uncomfortable situations uh, that, uh, that, that come to pass and that we find ourselves in, Lord, but we also know what you're able to do by the power of your Spirit to embolden us and give us everything we need to bear witness of you. Lord, so I pray that you would baptize us with your Spirit, that you would help us to understand what you have for us through this text. God, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so if you recall, uh, we'll be in, first of all, Acts chapter 4 today. We'll get through the majority of the chapter. We'll get to chapter 31. Chapter 1, what happened? Jesus, He promised the disciples, at that time there were 120 disciples, He promised them that He would send them the Holy Spirit to empower them from on high to be witnesses of Christ. Then, in chapter 2, we see that promise fulfilled. Just as Jesus said, Jesus does he sends the holy spirit the holy spirit comes upon the people at pentecost the disciples start speaking in tongues which gains the attention of the masses of the crowd then at the appropriate time peter stands up he proclaims this powerful message and we see in one day the church goes from 120 to 3000 the holy spirit truly transformed the early church and luke he ends in Acts chapter 2, specifically verse 43, he mentions all these signs and wonders and miracles that the apostles performed. And that's like his transitional verse to get us to chapter 3. And then in chapter 3, he gives us an example of one of those miracles that was very impactful. What was that miracle? Well, if you were with us last week, we see Peter and John encounter this lame man who's been lame from birth outside the temple gate, specifically the gate called beautiful. And what do they do? They heal this man in the name of Jesus. Or more accurately, Jesus heals this man through them. And this man experiences this healing. He's able to jump. He's able to leave. He's never walked in his life. And now he's jumping in the air. The strength that God gave his legs, the grace of God displayed through that healing is obviously miraculous, but the miracle wasn't just for this man. The miracle, once again, was to gain the masses' attention to hear what? To hear the gospel. What's the point of physical healing? We don't experience spiritual healing. Physical healing only lasts for a temporary time period while we're on earth, spiritual healing lasts forever. And that's the point. That's why God did this. So these people, it would get their attention while this miracle is done. Who is the source behind this miracle? Obviously, Peter stands up. He says, it's Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus that people get saved. It's in the name of Jesus, in the name of the gospel, that people are healed spiritually and eternally. Well, as we'll see in Acts chapter 4, this miracle gets some unwanted attention, specifically the attention of the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders of that day. This miracle and preaching the gospel, it came at a cost. 
And what's going to happen in this text is that the Sanhedrin, well, they're going to threaten Peter and John and say, hey, we're going to take your life. We're going to imprison you once again if you share the name of Jesus anymore. But Peter and John, because of the power of the Spirit, they tell him, hey, hey, we got to preach the name of Jesus. It's our duty. We must. We're obligated. And this is also a privilege that we preach the name of Jesus. They say, hey, let God be the judge whether this is right or wrong. As for us, we can't help but speak the things that we've seen and we've heard. See, it was the Holy Spirit empowering these men to preach the gospel despite the cost. The title of this teaching is Empowered to Witness. Empowered to Witness. This chapter is really a perfect example of what the book of Acts is all about in its entirety. We see the promise of Jesus fulfilled on several occasions. But if we look back on that promise, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. That word witness, as you've heard me mention before, is where we get the word martyr from. Literally, the power of the Spirit will give us the power to bear witness even if it costs us our lives. That's the purpose of the power. That's exactly what we're going to see Peter and John do. They're going to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus regardless of the consequences. Let's look at the text. It's Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So we see these different people groups, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, they arrest John and Peter. Why? Because they're preaching the name of Jesus. These are the very men that had Jesus put to death. This is a conflict of interest. The guy that we had crucified, you're proclaiming his name, that he rose from the dead. In fact, the Sadducees, they didn't even believe in the resurrection. So they have a real problem with this. Not only are you proclaiming the name of Jesus whom we killed, you're proclaiming that he rose from the dead. We don't even believe in that. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the supernatural. But what we see in this text is it's not just the Sadducees. We have the captain of the temple, the priest as well. There's a multitude of people coming against the apostles and what they're doing is making an attempt to silence them. This truly is a work of the enemy. This is point number one. The enemy is determined to silence us. The enemy is determined to silence us. The enemy is at work through the religious leaders trying to prevent Peter and John from sharing the gospel. Maybe if we lock them up in prison, they can't share the gospel anymore. See, this wasn't something that was uncommon to the early church. Persecution and the enemy working through the religious leaders was something that happened on a regular basis this is really the beginning of it. But if you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we see another example. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Verse 14, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things from your countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. See the connection that Paul is making. He sees Satan working through the religious leaders to hinder them from sharing the gospel. That will save, potentially, all that hear it. See, the enemy, he attempts to do this in our life as well. He attempts to hinder us. He attempts to silence us. Sometimes it comes through the form of intimidation, like we see here with John and Peter. For them, it was through imprisonment. Sometimes it comes through the form of discouragement. You ever heard this little voice? Who are you to share the gospel? You're an imperfect Christian. How are you going to preach about a perfect Christ? You don't have the moral authority. You don't have it all together. Your life isn't an example to look at. Who are you to share the gospel? Whenever you hear that voice, recognize it's not the voice of the Lord. It's the voice of the enemy. Now, yes, we're called to share the gospel, not just with our lips, but also with our lives. We are called to live it out and be an example to believer and unbeliever alike. But the Lord isn't silencing you to share the gospel, or at least not attempting to. It's the enemy. So if you ever have those words of discouragement telling you you're unworthy or unfit to share the gospel, it is a lie from the pits of hell. These men... The religious leaders are trying to shut the mouths of the early apostles, but with no effect. Look, what's ha- look what happens. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Despite the enemy's efforts to silence Peter and John, he was unsuccessful. The enemy was unsuccessful through the religious leaders. We see more multitudes getting saved. This number 5,000 is likely the 3,000 that we saw in Acts chapter 2 plus 2,000 more. But notice it says 5,000 men got saved in a matter of days, in a short time period. All these people got saved. It's not even talking about the women and children. So many people were getting saved. The enemy couldn't stop what God had started in the early church. It goes on. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Any of these names sound familiar to you? Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, the high priest. If you were with us in our study during Matthew, we know these men had Jesus brought before them and these men were a big part of putting Jesus to death. So now Peter and John are faced with the same guys, the same specific guys. 
other than Pilate, obviously, that had Jesus crucified. This is probably a pretty intimidating situation. Oh gosh, we're likely next. But we'll see later on. They didn't let fear get the best of them. Now Annas and Caiaphas and these other head honchos, they say in verse 7, by what power, by what name have you done this? And their thinking in that culture, power and name were one and one. The power or authority that you carried was rooted in your name. So when they say what power, what name, the power is in someone's name, in a person's name, or in God's name. See, when you look at the Bible, not just in this culture, we see how significant a name is. It's not just what you call someone. When you do something in the name of Jesus, what you're doing is saying, I'm doing this under the authority of Jesus. I'm doing this in the character of Jesus. It's not just something that we say. It means something different than we typically think in our American culture. It's not just uh, in the name of Jesus I say. It's not just His name. It's what His name signifies. I'm saying this. I'm praying this in the authority of Jesus. I'm saying this with the character of Jesus. The Bible tells us, if you remember... In Exodus chapter 34, if you want to write this down, Exodus 34, uh, verses 5 uh, and 6, it says this, When Moses proclaimed the name of the Lord, Yahweh said, I'm going to proclaim my name to you, Moses. And he puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, and then he passes by Moses. And what does the Lord say? It says, the, he says, the Lord proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. When the Lord proclaimed his name, he proclaimed his character. That's what he, my name is my character. So Caiaphas and Annas and the other leaders are asking, by what authority? By whose name are you performing these miracles? Now we also have to remember that back in the Gospels, the religious leaders accused Jesus of doing these miracles by the power of what? By the power of Beelzebub, or Lord of the Flies, specifically Satan. It says, you're doing, you're casting out demons by the power of demons. And Jesus says, that's the most foolish thing, in other words, that, that you could ever come up with. A kingdom divided against itself, it can't stand. Why would Satan cast out Satan? That, that just doesn't make sense. But the point is, they accused him of doing this work by the power of Satan. Likely thinking the same thing here. John, Peter, are you doing these miracles in the name of Yahweh, under the authority of Yahweh, the power and character of Yahweh? Or are you doing these miracles by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of Satan? Then it says, Acts chapter 4, Peter's going to answer him. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Let's stop there. It says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, when we see the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's often interchangeable with the Spirit coming upon someone or baptizing someone with the Holy Spirit. When the Lord baptizes us or fills us or come upon, it comes upon us. So that's what's happening here in this text. The Spirit is empowering him from on high to share the gospel. But we also notice something else. This is the third time 
it says that Peter was filled with the Spirit. It wasn't like Pentecost happened and that filling carried him through the rest of his life. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us we're to be continuously or constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to write it down, Ephesians 5.18. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That Greek phrase actually means be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just I ask for an anointing of the Holy Spirit and that's going to empower me to live life the rest of my life as a Christian, as a believer. No, the Bible tells us to continue to ask, to continue to knock, to continue to seek. And when we ask, Luke chapter 11 tells us our Father, because He's a good Father, gladly gives us His Holy Spirit because that gives us the power to bear witness of him, to live the way that he lived. See, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's going to bear witness of Christ. This is the second point. The Spirit empowers us to witness. The Spirit empowers us to witness. That's the main objective or main priority or main purpose of the Holy Spirit. As we mentioned, that's what Jesus promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. You'll know when the Spirit comes upon you because you're going to bear witness of Jesus Christ. So I was talking to Luke uh, Patterson on Thursday. Um, many of you remember Luke. Uh, Luke uh, served with me with Patmos for a while, and he used to come here just before the Lord called him back to Minnesota. Well, right now he's in Dubai, okay, which is a Muslim country, uh, and basically he's there as an undercover um, Christian. He's at a primarily Islam university, and he's sharing the gospel with people. Okay, That's what he's doing right now. And uh, I talk to him on a somewhat regular basis and he has to speak in all code. Like he can't say Jesus, he can't say church, he can't say these different things. He has to use code words and they've trained him on what words to use. If he's found out, you know, bad things could happen. Now, Luke was sharing with me that just a little while ago, he was asking one morning, God, fill me with your spirit. Like I, I want to be empowered to share the gospel. Give me the boldness, all these different things. And he asked the Lord specifically, specifically, I want you to take me to the loneliest, most depressed person at this university. I want you to lead me to him so that I, he, I can tell him how badly he needs you. So that same day, Luke, he was going into the cafeteria to eat and he just worked out. So he was really focused on the food. He wanted to eat real quick. And then out of the corner of his eye, he saw this guy that was obviously glum. He was down. He was out. And the Lord knocked on his head. That's him. That's the guy you were asking about. So Luke, he goes up to this guy and he says, hey, man, do you mind if I sit with you and, and talk? And the guy's like, yeah, man, no problem. He's like, so what's going on? The guy says, I'm so lonely and I'm so depressed. The two words that Luke prayed. Now, there's a reason why this guy was lonely and depressed. He's from Afghanistan and he used to go to a university in Afghanistan and at his university, he witnessed one of the most horrific things that any of us could ever witness. Within feet of him, a Taliban suicide bomber came into his school and blew up all his friends in front of him. Okay, So all his friends were dead. Not only that, but now the university is closed, so he has to go to a different country to go to university. Luke, with compassion and grace and love, proceeds to share this gospel with this guy that grew up a Muslim. 
Guess what happened? The guy accepted Christ right on the spot. Why? Because Luke was empowered by the Spirit. He made a bold move, risking everything, but because God's faithful, he did the work, he lined everything up, and now one of the last people you would ever think to get saved, gets saved. See, we'll know that we're empowered by the Spirit when we share the gospel. On the other end, sometimes you don't know that you're empowered by the Spirit until you share the gospel. I've had it happen to me on several occasions. It's like, man, Lord, I know, yeah, I'm I'm supposed to share the gospel. Maybe it's with, with a person. I know I'm supposed to do it generally. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. The Great Commission is preach the gospel and make disciples. So I know it's something I'm supposed to do. But guess what? I don't always feel like it. Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm discouraged. And I don't feel empowered. But you know what happens more often than not? When I do it and I open my mouth and I start to share, I get empowered by the Spirit. There's this passion. There's this zeal. There's this love. And I begin to share the gospel. And sometimes I don't even know exactly what I'm saying. It's not like I'm just intellectually putting all these words together in my mind. The Lord promises us in Matthew chapter 10, I'll give you the words to speak. If you open your mouth and you're doing this as unto me, I will give you the words. And he does it. He empowers us from on high. And we see amazing things happen. We see lives transformed. We see souls get saved. This is exactly why Peter is sharing the gospel. He's empowered. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4, verse 9. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has he been made well? Let it be known to all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom uh, Whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter, as he's filled with the Spirit, he proceeds to share the gospel with the very people that were actually responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. And what does he tell them? Yeah, the guy you killed, only by his name can you be saved. You killed your Savior. You rejected the cornerstone. He also makes the claim in verse 12, their salvation... There, nor there is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He tells them that Jesus is the only way that they can be saved. Now, did Peter just come up with this in his mind? Was Peter just like, hey, Jesus is my Savior, so he must be your Savior too? No, Peter is saying this because Jesus told him that exact thing. In John chapter 14, verse 6 Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive claim. There's so much out there right now about all roads leading to heaven. It doesn't matter what you pick. You can pick Hinduism or Buddhism, or you can pick Islam, or you can go with the New Age movement, or you can just kind of mix them all together and pick what you like about each one. And you'll make it. God loves everyone. He wants everybody to go to heaven. But the Lord made an exclusive claim. He didn't say, I'm a way, a truth, a life. 
people can go to the Father in other ways. No, he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. He's the one that made it exclusive. That's why I believe it's absolutely exclusive. And not just because of what Jesus said. Logically, if all these other religions contradict each other, Hinduism doesn't teach the same exact thing as Buddhism. Buddhism certainly doesn't teach the same thing as uh, as Christianity or Islam. Christianity and Islam are the very thing that we believe saves you is the very thing that Muslims believe sends you to hell. If you say it's called shirk, if you say that anyone is equal to God and they use Jesus as the example in the Quran, they say you're condemned to hell. Christianity says that's the only way that you can get saved. So if all these religions contradict each other, that means some of them are wrong. Some of them, or one of them in my opinion, is actually right. They can't all be right. Peter makes this bold statement. He says, there's one that's right. Jesus said he's the only way. I've experienced the only way. I'm a changed man. I'm a transformed man. And not just me. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, by him, this man, speaking of the man that was healed, stands here before you whole. See, Jesus isn't just the only way to salvation. He's the only way to be made whole. He's the only way to be made complete. He's the only way that, that we can fulfill the desires and longings of our heart. He's the one that fulfills the, long, the deepest desires and deepest longings of our heart. He's the only way that we can be made whole. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Point number three. It's more about who you know than what you know. It's more about who you know than what you know. He said, hey, these guys are uneducated. They're untrained. These guys are fishermen from Galilee. Like, they don't know what we know. Peter and John, they weren't trained by Uh, a rabbi or uh, a famous rabbi, at least in the eyes of the religious leaders, but they were trained by the greatest rabbi that ever lived. God himself who spoke the word, who wrote the word. That's who they were trained by. But we see Peter and John, though they had no formal education, they're able to preach the gospel in power. And this is so true for us. In fact, the Bible says, here are the credentials for those who God calls. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Brethren, he's talking about the church. He says, there's not many that are naturally wise in the church there's not many that are naturally strong there aren't many that are naturally noble that's what he's saying it's kind of offensive but it's true verse 27 but god has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and god has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised god has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence he chooses the weak He chooses the fool. He chooses the people that he knows can't bring glory to themselves because they're hopeless without him. These are the type of people that God chooses. People like me. People like you. It's not about what we know. It's about knowing Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us in 2 Corinthians 
8, verses 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. It says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. It's not just about what we know. It's about knowing the love of Christ. If people can experience the love of Christ through us, that's more powerful than knowledge. Now, I will say this. We can't take this text and say, well, God just wants us to be uh, you know, blind, walking by faith Christians that don't know anything, that don't think, that don't engage our minds. That's simply not true because the Lord calls us to love Him with all our mind as well. He calls us to meditate on the Word. He calls us to study to show ourselves approved unto God. But our knowledge and experience of Him trumps the, non, the intellectual knowledge that we gain from studying the Word of God. Peter and John knew one thing. They knew Jesus. And they had a relationship with Jesus. I think it's absolutely wise to study the Word of God and, and seek to understand the Lord better. In fact, the classes start again now. I take a class here and there at, uh, at Veritas to continue to challenge myself to learn things that, that I didn't know before because I want to grow in understanding. I want to grow in knowledge, but I know that's secondary than to growing in my intimacy and experiences with Jesus Christ. See, these men, though they were uneducated and untrained, the religious leaders recognized one thing. They realized that they had been with Jesus. The last time they saw someone or heard someone speak, saw someone do the miracles that, that these guys are doing, was Jesus. They're a reflection of Jesus. These men remind them of Jesus, the boldness, the portrayal of love, all of it. He's looking at these. I know they're not Jesus, but they remind me of Jesus. That's the call to every believer. When people see you, do they see Jesus? And they see, they say, man, I know you're not the Messiah, but you sure look like him. The character, the love, the power in which you speak. You look like the Messiah because the Bible tells us, yes, none of us are saviors and we can't save anyone. But the Bible does tell us that we're called to look like him. In Colossians 1.27 in Colossians 1.27, it says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of His glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This mystery that we can't conceive that's been promised from the beginning, the gospel being presented to the Jews. And the Gentile, it's the power of God not only to salvation, but Christ actually comes inside us and manifests Himself through us. God comes and lives in us. And He changes us from the inside out. That means we should look more and more like Him each and every day. They know that John and Peter aren't Jesus, but they say they look they look a lot like Jesus. That should be our goal. That I look more and more like Jesus each and every day. That people could say, I know they've been with Jesus. I know they've been spending time with Jesus. They're reflecting His image. Acts chapter 4, verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. 
the religious leaders couldn't argue the fact that this man had been physically and spiritually healed. The man back in Acts chapter 3. He's standing there. He was born lame. He could never walk. Now he's walking around. And not only that, he's accepted the name of Jesus. As we're on the topic of sharing the gospel, one of those powerful ways you can share the gospel is through personal testimony. Why? Just like this text says. They couldn't argue against the miracle. People can't argue against your testimony. They can't argue against the transforming work that God has done in your life. They cannot prove it wrong. And you can prove it right. This is who I was, and this is who I am. They're very different. Let me tell you about who I was. But let me really focus on who I am now in Christ. I'm a different person. I'm a new creation. No, I'm not perfect, but I'm way better than I used to be. This is one of the most powerful ways to share the gospel because they will say, like these men said, for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in it in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Nobody can deny the miracle that Christ has done in your life or the miracle that Christ wants to do in your life. And maybe the Lord has showed up in your life on, uh, in, on more than one occasion and maybe you got saved a while back, but maybe there's something else He wants to do in your life. Maybe there's another miracle that He wants to perform in your life. Maybe there's a, a, another level of healing that He wants to bring into your life and the Lord desires to bring that healing, but we have a responsibility in that too. What do I mean? Jesus, in John chapter 5, he encounters this man. And this man has had an infirmity for 38 years. Okay, same. Can't walk. And Jesus asks this man, do you want to be made well? Why was Jesus out? This guy is waiting for the angel to come stir up the pool so he could be made well, so he could experience healing and, and experience this miracle. But Jesus isn't asking him as a joke, like, uh, do you really want to be made well? I know you're sitting here by this pool. No, he's asking him in sincerity, do you really want everything that comes with being made well? Because you know what happens when you're made well? You got more responsibility. Now you got to stand on your own two feet. There's a higher standard that I call you to. Sometimes... We make the excuse like that man ended up doing in John chapter 5. We make excuses about how we can't be made well. And sometimes we don't want to be made well because we're comfortable in the sin that we're at. Yeah, Jesus, make me well from these things, but this one thing, I don't want to be made well from this thing. Don't touch this specific thing. Or it says, do you want to be made well in that specific area? I'll make you well. But you got to do your part. You got to stand on your own two feet. You got to walk in the healing. Sometimes we want the miracle, but we don't want the responsibility of walking in the healing. This man, he didn't just take the miracle, he stood up and continued walking in the healing. Acts chapter 4, verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten him, them. That from now on, they speak to no man in this name. They're trying to intimidate John and Peter by these severe threats. Now, we don't know what all these threats were, but they were probably threatening their life. Don't preach in the name of Jesus or it's going to cost you severely. Why are they doing this? Well, they're trying to instill fear in John and Peter. 
Maybe if we get them afraid, maybe if we threaten them, maybe if we intimidate them, they won't share the gospel anymore. Maybe if we embarrass them, maybe if we shame them, they won't share the gospel anymore. See, the enemy, he wants us to be afraid. He wants us to be ashamed of sharing the gospel. And the world, as the enemy is the God of this world, will try to persuade us that believing that Christianity is the only way is foolish. It's shameful. Why are you so close-minded, you Christians? The world's going this way and you guys are going this other way. You say Jesus is the only way, but that's not what everybody believes. Don't you love people? Why don't you invite them in, be in relationship with them, accept some of their world views? The world will try to make you look stupid and foolish for following Jesus Christ. You really believe in a dead guy? You believe in the virgin birth? Like, come on, that's never happened before. You believe that this dude rose from the dead? Come on, the resurrection really help me understand that. And the world will try to persuade you to be fearful and shameful of sharing the gospel. But you know what Paul tells us? In Romans chapter 1, verse 16. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, okay? Don't be embarrassed about your Savior, okay? Don't be embarrassed about the things that he said. Just because it's unpopular doesn't mean it should produce fear and shame in you. Stand up for what you believe in. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation. If you don't stand up, if you don't say something, then people cannot get saved. If you share a watered-down gospel or a, yeah, Jesus is my way, but there's these other ways, they, they don't get saved. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I believe there were people that were. They were embarrassed. They were ashamed. I'm getting persecuted. My family's getting persecuted. I don't know if I can continue doing this thing. So he tells them, he stands up and says, don't be ashamed of your Savior. Don't be ashamed of sharing the gospel. It's the only way people can be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called him and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So they're threatened again by the very people that had Jesus put to death. They receive more threats after being imprisoned. And they say, we can't help but speak these things. We see the passion and the boldness of Peter and John. They were just threatened, yet, by the power of the Spirit, they're able to preach the gospel with boldness. This is point number four. The Spirit empowers us to be bold. The Spirit empowers us to be bold. They had a lot of reasons to be afraid. They were just threatened. They know what these guys can do. They know they're not afraid to have someone crucified. The most painful death known at the time. But they still proclaim the gospel with boldness regardless of the consequences. Uh, there was this one time I was on a mission trip in Belize. Uh, this church like started within the year. Uh, we were in a pretty dangerous area. Um, the, the pastor actually a month before we got there, he uh, and his whole family got robbed at gunpoint. Okay, and that's where we're staying. So a little encouraging, right? So 
Uh, so we're trying to help this uh, pastor kind of get more people to the church. Um, and uh, so we have like he had like a few services within a short period of time. Uh, and so we were going out right around his church and sharing the gospel with people trying to get him to church. Well, this one day, I think it was like the second day that we were doing this. Um, I was with a, a small group and this girl, uh, Bea, who's uh, who was an intern from El Salvador. She says to me and the whole group, hey, don't go down this street. There's this guy that keeps threatening the students and cursing them out. Now, honestly, this wasn't in pride. I really didn't hear what she said. I didn't hear, and she has an accent. So uh, I didn't hear what she said, and we're walking down the street, and I hear this guy yelling. Like, he's yelling profanities and all these different things. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Let's go check it out, right? So I, I go over there to talk to this guy, and there's like a gate between me and the guy, and he's like, he is, you know, bashing Christianity, saying all these things, proclaiming to be an atheist, all this different stuff. And uh, it was almost like it was so crazy that it was almost humorous. OK, I didn't laugh at the guy. But so I start sharing the gospel, get to talk to him for about 30 minutes and, and see him open up a tiny bit. But it's like, man, this guy's so far away. Uh, just keep praying for him. So anyways, later that night, we had a worship service and the pastor, he uh, during worship, during kind of like a instrumental uh, period with the music, he said, hey, I want you guys to, to each person pray for someone that you've been sharing the gospel with that the Lord is putting on your heart to get saved. And so we start praying and literally uh, within 30 seconds of me praying, I feel this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and this guy points. It's the guy. It's the guy that I was sharing the gospel with through the fence. And I'm like, no way. Like God really answers prayers like this guy's here right now. So I go outside, I have this conversation with him. He used to live in New York. He was in a gang there. He's in a gang in Belize. He got kicked out. He wants to be away from the gang lifestyle and he knows he needs Jesus. And we just had this amazing, amazing uh, conversation and encounter. I was able to pray for this guy, but it would have never happened if God didn't give me the boldness to talk to this guy in the midst of the threats, in the midst of being cursed out. The Lord gave me the boldness to share the gospel despite the potential consequences. This is something that he promises for each of us. John and Peter, they're able to have this boldness because of the power of God, regardless of the threats that were just spoken into their lives. But look what they say in verse 24. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't help but share Jesus. We got to share Jesus. It would be a sin for me not to tell people about Jesus. We see this passion. It's not just the power of the Spirit. It's the experiences that they've had with the Lord in their lives. We've seen Jesus in my life. I've heard Him speak these things into my life. This also produces boldness. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1 verse 15, he says, in as much as is in me, I share the gospel. Basically saying, with everything I got, every ounce of my being, I share the gospel. I share the gospel with this passion, with this boldness, because I want people to see what I've seen the Lord do. I want people to hear the things that I've heard the Lord speak. I want other people to experience the same Jesus that I've experienced. This produces a passion. And this exactly is exactly what Peter and John are saying. We got to tell people. There might be consequences, but we have to tell people. It's the power of God to salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 22. Sorry, verse 21. <clears throat> so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punish, 
uh, punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done, uh, had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So this guy was lame for 40 years, okay? This is the first time he's ever taken a step. 40 years lame, all of a sudden, work of God, he's jumping, literally leaping up in the air. This was a fascinating miracle that was performed. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. You see that? Look what happened. They let him go. See, the enemy, he can try to hinder us. He can try to prevent us from doing the work of God, but he can't keep us from it. He can't. The Lord is powerful over the enemy. He's all-powerful. And if there's a work that God wants to do in 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 our lives and through our lives, the enemy can convince us, don't do it. Don't step into this role. Don't step into this calling. But he can't keep us from it. That, again, is a choice. And they chose What do they choose? To go seek their companions. Who were their companions? The other disciples. The early church. They knew they needed help. They knew they couldn't do this or continue to do this on their own. So look what they do with their companions in verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They didn't cower, they didn't complain, they didn't run back to the other disciples and say, hey guys, it's time to skip town, okay? We just got threatened by the same people that killed Jesus and they told us they're going to kill us and imprison us if we continue to preach the name of Jesus. Uh, You remember Jesus said to go to Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then the end of the earth. I think we should just go to the end of the earth now. Okay, let's bail, let's go to Asia, I'll take Africa, anywhere but here. That's not what they did. They prayed. They sought God diligently. And look what they say. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth. They're reminding themselves that God is all powerful. When we remember how big our God is, how powerful he is, how much he loves us, the fear of man ceases. They have nothing to be afraid of if God has their back. If God before us, who can be against us? This was their mentality. Acts chapter 2, 4, verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. So look what they do. They recognize this psalm from David. It's Psalm chapter 2. They see this psalm. Look what he says. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They saw their circumstance as a fulfillment of Scripture. They saw what they were experiencing as a fulfillment of Scripture because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this wasn't one of those like joyous, yay, we we got persecuted by the Sanhedrin. This was a significant trial. This was a significant tribulation. Literally, their lives, lives were on the line. And they say, you know what? What's happening to us is a fulfillment of Scripture. Do you see your trials and tribulations as a fulfillment of Scripture? Do you see the difficult times that you're walking through as a fulfillment of Scripture? Because they are. 
Jesus promised us in John 16, 33. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. You're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I overcame this world. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. But there's another world that waits where there will be no tribulation, no tears, no sorrow, no sadness, none of that. Not even death. But right now, there's going to be trials. Do we look at the trials in our life and recognize the trials are just fulfilling Scripture? Peter tries to hammer this home, and I believe he's thinking about what Jesus said to him. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, 1 Peter 4, 13, he says, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as some strange thing happened to you. He's like, Hey, by now, guys, you got to get it. Jesus promised that we're going to be persecuted. He promised there was going to be tribulations if we choose to follow him. Why are we shocked when it happens? It's a fulfillment of scripture. And I understand going through heartache, going through trial, going through tribulation is not fun. It's not enjoyable. It's not something that we love to walk through each and every day. But at the very least, we can accept it as a fulfillment of Scripture. That's exactly what the disciples do. God's just fulfilling what He said. He's fulfilling His Word. Acts chapter 4, verse 28. To do whatever your hand in your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your Word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So what do they do? They ask God for boldness and the power of the Spirit to continue doing what God already called them to do. It's point number five. The Spirit empowers us to endure hardship. The Spirit empowers us to endure hardship. They knew that this wasn't the end of it. That there were more trials coming right around the corner. And we'll actually see some of them in Acts chapter five. They knew that God provided them the power and boldness to endure the first trial, but they were going to need that power and boldness once again to endure the next trial. The Holy Spirit will empower us to endure hardship. It's Colossians chapter 1. This is one of those verses that I'm still trying to get right. Um, This is a hard one, a challenging one, but it's a truth of Scripture. In Colossians chapter 1, verse... 11, it says, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. Okay, long suffering with joy. That's a serious charge. We're not just called to suffer and go through tribulations. We're called to do it with joy. Why? It's the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. He's just putting those words together. Long suffer with joy. All those character qualities are to be manifested at the same time. If we're filled with the Spirit, if we're operating in the Spirit, we'll be able to long suffer with joy again. It's a fruit of the Spirit. See, the disciples, they know this. So they ask God for His power to continue to endure the hardships in a character that's going to bring them glory. They knew they needed the boldness. They knew they needed the courage. They knew they needed the faith to overcome their fears. But you see what we don't see the disciples asking? Double negative. The disciples aren't asking God to to free us from the trial. 
to, to take us out of the trial. Don't let him persecute us, God. Protect us. No, we don't see the disciples praying any of that. They say, give us the character we need to endure the trial. You've heard it said before. People say it different ways. The quote is, don't ask for a lighter load, but a stronger back. Not a lighter load, but a stronger back. Meaning, God, give me the tools I need to endure the trial. Because I know even when you walk me through trials, it's for some benefit for me personally. Because I love you and you love me. And I might not understand why you got me walking through all these things that you got me walking through. But I know there's a benefit for me. So give me the character to endure the trial. It's exactly what they ask. Acts chapter three, uh, 4, verse 31. This is where we'll close. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They prayed and the whole place shook up. Spirit-led prayer, shake things up. Now, there's this funny story. Uh, We were having a prayer meeting in El Salvador one time. My friend Joey uh, was praying and an earthquake happened. Literally, the whole room started shaking. Oh, anointed prayer right now. It could just be a coincidence. I don't know. And we don't know if it was an earthquake that happened here. But the point of it is, God was confirming that he was going to answer their prayer. He just did something with their circumstances to confirm to them that this prayer was a prayer that was going to be answered. Why? Because look at the prayer that they prayed. God, give us your character to fulfill your mission. This wasn't a selfish prayer. They weren't asking for, yeah, take me out of the trial. They weren't asking for a new car or a new house or uh, easier circumstances. They were saying, God, give me your character, your power, your boldness, so I can continue to do the work that you've called me to do. See, these kinds of prayers, this is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. God, give me your character to fulfill your mission. Give me your name. Give me your authority. Give me your character, your attributes to do what you've called me to do. These are prayers that God will always answer. These are prayers that God will always answer. He loves us. He's a good father. The greatest gift he could ever give us, other than salvation, is his character to fulfill what he's called us to do in this life. He says, if you ask for it, I'll give it to you. See, the disciples, they understood the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit. God, give me the power, the boldness, not so I can make a name for myself, but so that I can make a name for you, so I can exalt your name, so I can glorify your name. That's the point of the power to give us the ability to preach the gospel with our lips and our lives. But are you operating in this power? Are you bearing witness of Christ? When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And you might be new to the faith and might not know very much. But remember, we're talking about fishermen here. It wasn't about what they knew. It was about who they knew. If we're not bearing witness of Christ, then I'd have to say, based on the text, we're not operating in the power of the Spirit. I want to challenge myself in all this this week. Share the gospel with someone this week. Be as simple as Jesus loves you. You can go through Romans Road. Anyway, if you want some tips, I would love to give you some. But often we don't realize that we're empowered by the Spirit until we choose to operate in the Spirit and just open our mouths, just get ourselves out of our comfort zone. And then we see the power of God manifested in and through us. And it's an amazing thing that He wants each and every one of us to experience. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the power of your spirit. We thank you for your divine nature, your character that you give us to fulfill your work. Lord, um, the disciples didn't have it easy. They had it hard. It was difficult, mass persecution on a level that we don't really know of in America. God, but they asked for you to give them everything they needed so that they can continue the work that you gave them, Lord. And I pray that you would do that for us, that you would baptize us with the Holy Spirit, that we would continue to ask to continue to be filled so that we can bear witness of you with the way we live our lives and and sharing the gospel, Lord. We know people can't get saved if they don't hear the gospel. So please give us opportunities this week. Set up divine encounters that we would be drawn to someone, that we would just open our mouth to the first person we see. Whatever the case may be, whatever you put on our heart, Lord, give us the boldness to proclaim your name. Help us to love this world like you love the world, sharing the only thing by which people can get saved. By the name of Jesus, in your name.